Good morning. The children are dismissed to Children's Church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to come and gather together in your name and worship. Lord, we thank you for our community. We thank you for all the children downstairs and the wonderful performance that was done the other night, Lord God, in our community by Riley and her team. Lord, it's just such a blessing to see your word go forth in our town. We thank you that your word does not return void, Lord, that, Father, you know where everyone is at spiritually in this building today. And so we come before you. We ask to be encouraged, uplifted, convicted, changed, motivated. Lord, may your living word uh, work within our hearts that we may draw close to you. In Jesus' name, and I ask that you would guard my lips and all God's people said, amen. amen. Turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to talk about joy today, and what, what is biblical joy, and how can we maintain it? And I say that because, you know, a lot of the times, even as a pastor, when I'm talking to people that I know have gone through great loss or, or a really hard time, a lot of times I really struggle with words to say because really there really isn't any words I can say that's going to alleviate the current situation. Sometimes when we don't know what to say, we just fill the word with the time with words that might not necessarily be encouraging. Does that make sense? Because we don't know what to say. And so when I say that, it's because a lot of the times people will find themselves in a situation, we all know the inevitable will happen, that we will grow older and we will pass on and those that we love will pass on and life will not always go the way that we plan. And, and so in that, there's this idea that you know, we're just having this, this hope that's just being positive and it's not based on anything other than how we feel in the current situation or where we would like to be. But when we look at the word of God and the people that are represented in it, we see people that were formed in adversity and trial. And from that, they maintained not only hope, but they had an enduring joy even Christ, as it says, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So I want to talk about that kind of a joy. If we were to look statistically in psychology today and some of the, the papers and stuff that's out, it says that about, I don't know, 17%, maybe 7 to 17% of the people in the United States, out of 100,000 people roughly, would say that they are depressed, are dealing with depression. Now, there is clinical depression. Clinical depression would be when you can never find yourself to be motivated, you don't find joy in anything, everything is always uh, looked at as being negative, there's just, you don't see any reason to get out of bed, you'd rather sleep all day, all the motivation is drained from you, and this is something so chronic that it affects every facet of your life, not just relationships, but your job, everything is touched by this. That would be more of a clinical. And I do believe there's organic illnesses, maybe lifestyle choices, things that people have done that will put them in this place. But then there's just the circumstantial depression that we all go through. 
through something that has taken place or a traumatic event, whether it be someone dying or a job loss or a promotion that wasn't gained or a relationship, a breakup, a divorce, bad decisions of others, and then the self-blame that people will put on themselves, like if they shoulda, woulda, coulda done this, maybe something would be different. And from that, they plague themselves and something that could be a down for a moment in the right sense of if we apply the word of God, we will come out of that. doesn't mean it's not gonna be a hard situation, but some people stay there so long that it affects and robs them the greatest gift that God has given them, and that is time. Our mind is precious, agreed? And a lot of the times we think about things and create scenarios that are never gonna happen, and it affects our current situation and our ability to walk in the joy of the Lord, right? It's not like wishful thinking. When you're a Christian and a child of God, you are told that you are able to have a renewed mind that your perspective and your view on the things of life should be different. And as you get closer to him, you begin to realize and see things that maybe you didn't see before, and there's comfort because you know that he loves you. And because you know that he loves you in spite of yourself, you're able to put a confidence in something that's not made in the flesh. Your confidence is in the Lord and what he's done and what he says. And I say that because we're encouraged, like everything that we study in, in joy in, in the Bible, when it talks about it, it's in a place where there shouldn't be any joy. If you looked at the circumstances, there's nothing to be happy about with some of these lives. They were going through persecution. They were going through hardship. Paul in Philippians was in prison. And instead of looking at all the people he couldn't preach and reach outside of the prison, he focused on the one person he could, the guard that was chained to him, captive audience. Even Paul's letters were written in adversity. Did you know in a Roman prison that it wasn't guilty or innocent until proven guilty like we have? No, you're guilty, and if they don't find anything that is going to stick on the wall, they'll keep it going until they find something to execute you for. Paul was in a place that you would think is completely hopeless, and yet he stood in a place of joy and encouragement to those that were outside the prison walls. See, as Christians, that's the difference. In all the New Age philosophies and stuff in the world, it's all about self. Even in psychology, if you feel bad, it's probably because someone else told you you should feel bad. But sometimes, making bad decisions, you're going to feel bad. Making bad choices is going to make you feel bad. It's not your mom and dad's fault. You made the choice. It's not someone else's fault. We can blame. Yeah, sure, there's people that might not help us in a situation. But a lot of the time, we're looking at the wrong things. So in John chapter 15, and we look at this, I want to see how Jesus encourages us. And he's encouraging his disciples because he knew that they were going to go through a hard time. And he wanted them to understand and you know what? Even when he was saying it to them, a lot of the time you'll notice in the Gospels, they didn't fully understand what he was saying. And we're allowed to see that for a reason. Because sometimes we don't fully understand. But then there's that aha moment when you might be in a place of pressure that you're like, oh. And the word of God comes back to your mind and encourages you. Have you had that happen? It's powerful. 
You might go, I don't even know what I'm going to say to someone. Have you heard people say, I don't know what I would tell someone about the Lord. Well, one, show up and be kind and a decent human being, for starters, right? Don't have to be first. And when you're there, ask the Lord to put something on your heart, and he usually does. And you don't have to plan it. It'll just come to your mind. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And he'll give it to you because the word of God is living and active. It's not your intellect that recalls it. It's the spirit of God within you that recalls it. It's the Lord that brings it to your mind. Why do you think it says when you are brought before the great magistrates and those that are going to harm you and persecute you and do all of these things against you, do not worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say in the moment. In other words, it does not depend on your ability to quote great things. It depends on your ability to stay close to the Father. That's where it begins that's how it has to stay for us to truly have a confidence and a peace that passeth all understanding and we live in a world that cannot manufacture this kind of peace it cannot bring peace we live in a fallen world that is desperate to change if we can make peace we'd all get along by now don't you think but the heart is desperately wicked. And just because 90% of the people could do something right doesn't mean the other couldn't. And what I'm saying is it's, it's bound to fail because it always was. We were meant to be worshipers of God. And it doesn't matter what you have or where you're at, it's still the same for you. Rich, poor, uh, uh, it doesn't matter what race. It doesn't matter because we're all at the same place, equal before the cross. We need the Lord. And the same rules apply to everyone. It doesn't change over someone else, and someone doesn't get an easier path. The path is difficult for everyone, but also fulfilling. And when I say fulfilling, it gives you a sense of purpose that no matter what you're going through, there's a peace. For me personally, it happened when I was uh, probably at Kevin Penner's youth group. He had the most epic youth group at uh, Community Baptist back in the day. Be, it wouldn't even be allowed today the cool stuff that we did. Okay, I'm talking like, let's make a water slide from the second balcony with plywood and nail it together and throw some garbage bags in there and put water and just throw the kids down. Yeah, there was injuries, but they were good, right? Or let's make a gigantic float that everyone can eat out of. Yeah, that was before everyone was worried about getting sick. All of these things, and I remember we were going to this cabin way out in the middle of nowhere, and you know those roads when you go around and one side is a sheer drop-off, right? You don't want to focus on that, because if you do, you start freaking out, right? And so we're going on this road, and I remember we were singing and worshiping the Lord. And as a kid, I was probably 13, and I just remember going, you know, if the bus went off, I didn't want it to go off. I wasn't like, you know, in that sense but I was at peace if it did go off. Even as a kid, I knew that I was right where I was supposed to be. And that brought a peace that I couldn't make up. That brought a peace you can't drink to get to or use drugs to get to or you think you're gonna get to, self-medicate. That's not a, this is a peace that only comes from God because he inhabits the praises of his people. We're praising, I felt the presence of God enough that I was content and okay and not worried. I was not anxious. You see, depression a lot of the times looks at the past of, of what we could have done or should have done or better and, and all these other things or the failures and the grief and the shame, all that, where anxiety stresses so much about the future, you forget the present. 
So much so that you can't even enjoy the day that God has given you because you're betting on a day you don't know you're going to have. The joy of the Lord, even as it says in Nehemiah, is to be our strength. You know, it's the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. That, that is something that Nehemiah had encouraged when the Israelites in Nehemiah chapter 8 were preaching. Ezra was preaching the law, and they were all there, and they heard the word, and they realized, hey, guess what? We're not doing what we should be doing. And they wept and began to mourn, and they were sorrowful. And Nehemiah says, do not weep and mourn. Today is a day of celebration. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. In other words, the joy wasn't so much in, their, in your works. It's to know that he's got you. And so when we look at John chapter 15, we're going to see how Jesus tells us to walk in joy. It's not something that you can just make up. And, and you know, it's, it's, let's read it together and we'll study. We'll see exactly what it's saying to us. In John chapter 15, okay, so we're, you're going to be holding in 15. I'm going to pre-read a little bit. All this I have spoken, Jesus is talking to his disciples because he's promising them the Holy Spirit because they're discouraged about him talking about leaving. And he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Remember what I was talking about earlier? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, he's not going to give. How does the world give? How does the world really give, right? It's fleeting. Would you agree? It's fleeting. The things of the world are fleeting. It doesn't matter, right? I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad. And I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. In other words, his own disciples were struggling with believing even though they saw miracles and signs. Again, they still struggled because they focused on the wrong things. But when they looked at Jesus, just as in last week, when Peter was walking on the water, he was doing great till he took his eyes off the Lord. In your life, in your spiritual walk, people go, why isn't it working? Because you're not looking at the right things. You're either looking at people or you're looking at something else, but you're not looking at the Lord. You're not meditating on the word day and night. You're not studying it. Not a religious. It's you're not even taking 10 minutes a day to allow it to be in your life. Because when you do, you will notice a change begin to take place in how you perceive the world around you. The word doesn't return void. When you read it, it does what it's meant to do. And that's to change your mind and your heart. Amen? That's what the word does. It's powerful. That's why it says it's powerful. I have told you now before it happens. So in other words, he's telling them, hey, I'm letting you know so when it happens, you will remember what I'm saying. He's all, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. He's saying them, the world, he, the enemy doesn't have the hold on me, but the world is going to see I do what the Father says. Jesus leads by example. He leads by example. He shows us how to live. He doesn't just tell us. Isn't it hard to hear from anyone that just tells you that's never done it? Jesus has done it. He's the only one 
that can or could do it because he's God. But he makes a way for us. And hear this, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch to me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remained in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, and he is like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in me. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other, I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer call yourself servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So go and bear fruit that will last. So you're talking about a life of fruit that will last and joy that is complete. See, this kind of joy isn't like a happiness for a moment or the feeling you get when you're getting ready to go on a ride you've never been on or some exciting thing like that. This is a joy that is, is, is forged in contentment in the situation that you know God is in control and you are, have this, this in, like an inside feeling of completeness apart from any circumstance or even your shortcomings. And what I mean by that is because you're putting all of your hope in him. And when we do that, that kind of a joy isn't circumstantial. It doesn't come and go, it's founded in him. It's a complete type of joy. There's nothing you can add to it, it's already complete. A joy that only comes from a right relationship with God. And I say that because, you know, people come and go, I want God when, it, when I need something fixed or I have something I can't handle, or I want this something, something so bad, but when they realize that's not what it's about. Now there's a lot of teachers in the world, and there's a lot of places that will just push this type of thing about God just wants you happy, and God just wants you rich and wealthy and not sick, and all these wonderful things, but you know what? If your character stinks, and you don't have any fruit in your life, God cares more about your character and my character than our comfort. Why? Because if our life is truly to glorify him, do you understand? Now that's why people don't like to preach that and share it because you're not going to get the masses. You're going to get people that know they want to know the Lord and they've had an encounter. They've tasted and known the Lord is good and they want to know more. They want to grow in their walk with God and they want to serve God. And then there are those that just want a quick fix. 
They want you to come in and, and or, you know, whatever the situation is, but the joy and the fruit that we are to have in our life, because we have to bear fruit. The joy, one of the fruits, if turn me to Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And I say this because there's a lot of people that use the Word of God and they, they mean well, but you can tell there's something disconnected. It's like, okay, have you heard someone say, and I want to say this the right way. So don't get offended immediately. Hear me out if you get offended. There are people that say, I just really wish the Lord would come. This world is, I wish he'd get here. He's already here. We live in a fallen world, but people are like so set on the end times and the Lord coming that they aren't even doing anything in the immediate now. It's just a negative. It's not supposed to be a negative. It's supposed to be a positive. In other words, I just hope he zips me right on out of here. I remember my mom saying something once and it always bothered me. She'd say, I hope the Lord takes me this year. And I'm like, well, your grandkids probably don't, nor me, but thanks. Put the Lord stamp on it, right? We all can do that. I'm not picking on my mom. We all can do that. We all have situations where we get down and we just don't even realize that we're so negative and down. Where's the joy of the Lord? You don't think the world needs to see something different than what they've already got? When you see people that are old and you realize they don't have family, you can see in their face, they need joy, they need peace, they need Jesus. And guess who God is gonna choose to use? Me and you. We are all called to do the work of an evangelist. It says that. We are all called to be a light. It's not something that, well, I'm just gonna get my need met. You get your need met by helping someone else's need. You, come over, you get over grieving by helping someone else's grief. That's how it works. Did I say it's easy? No. But what do we do when we're down? We go and isolate, come over by ourselves somewhere, and we look at the world from a distance, and then we get mad because nobody visits, nobody calls. We start looking at everyone's shortcomings, but we don't look at ourselves as much because, hey, we're the victim. And you know what? Sometimes you might be the victim, but you don't have to be. We choose to isolate ourselves and withdraw, and then we wonder why it gets worse. You know, think about it. People think they have to feel better to do something different. You ever think that? Oh, I have to feel like it. I have to feel better to get better. I have to feel better to change this negative pattern in my life. No, you need to be active to change the negative pattern in your life. And some things you might need help in the body of Christ, but I don't know about you, a lot of people have a really hard time asking for help. Couple reasons. They don't want anyone to ask them for help. Right, I don't wanna to have to give back. Jeez, I'm busy. We're all busy. We all have things we can do, right? I'm too busy. I got, God knows I got so much going on. I can't, I have to miss church or miss this Bible study. I can't make this call right now because I'm busy. He understands. No, he does not. Do not forsake the gathering together. I say that because we all can find a reason in a world that's so busy to be busy and occupied with the wrong things. When we make time for the Lord when we don't feel like it or even think we have the time to do so sometimes, 
guess what? You begin to walk in a newness of life and a joy because you realize what it's about. And that's when God gives you little tokens in something in your life where you actually call that person and talk to that person and you see something in their eyes. You can see the Holy Spirit work on them. Guess what? God is moving and you had to move to get there. And when you do that, you're experiencing something that's a testimony. Amen? That's active. That's something that takes place when we get out of ourselves and not isolate when we're down. I don't know about you, but Christmas and the holidays sometimes get me down. It seems like it's just always the same. I didn't notice it until my wife's like, do you ever notice you sometimes get a little more negative during the holidays? Is it, I don't know if it's just all the hustle and bustle or what it is. But if I think about the wrong things enough, I'm not a positive person and neither are you. And some of us, depending on what you do for a living, you might be surrounded with darkness at a level that 90% of the people don't see. And you know what's going to give you strength? The joy of the Lord. Because you recognize he sees all, he knows all, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he will strengthen you, he will gird you up, he will allow you to see, and you wait on him, he will give you eagle's wings, because that's the God that we serve, because you're in the trenches, whatever it is. You don't have to focus on the evil, you get to be the light. And you might go, well, I can't physically change it, but you can pray. You have insight to pray about the specific things that God has brought in front of your face. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. People go, I don't know if they're gonna be able to change things. Yes, you can change through prayer and let God and trust God to have the outcome. Amen? In Galatians chapter five, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Raise your hand if you have all these down. Raise your hand if you've mastered one. Okay, we're all in the same boat, right? Why do you think it's fruit of this? How do we maintain this? By being in the right, being the vine. He's the vine, right? We are the branches. All our nutrients come from him. All of our substance comes from him. All of our outlook on life comes from him. And when we do these things, we begin to see this stuff just begins to happen. You're not trying to make it happen. Does that make sense? Right? Think about it. God loves us so much that he knew we couldn't do these things and he made a way for us. And just like in Nehemiah chapter eight, when the Israelites were frustrated because they recognized and they were having a church service, read it. And as they're reading the law, they're recognizing they had strayed so far from the truth that they began to mourn. And Nehemiah says, that the prophet says to them, hey, let's not mourn. The joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, God will sustain you and direct you. Yes, we need to repent and remove those things that beseech us, that hold us back. But in the midst of it, know this, that God has got you. There's a joy that comes that you just know, no matter what your body does, if it fails, if it grows old, things that you can't do that you used to be able to do, whatever it is, the joy that you can have that does not waver only comes from Christ. And it comes from you being rightly in relationship with him. And everything else will fall into place. The fruit of the spirit comes naturally because you are in the right place. Being at perfect peace is not something you work towards, it's who you know. And as you know who he is and you rest in that, you're okay with the circumstances, whatever they are. 
Does that make sense? Whatever they are. Because you're trusting God. Amen? You guys are awfully quiet. Was it something I said? I get convicted every time I preach. One time, a long time ago, I found a sermon I preached in like 1990, probably eight or nine. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this stupid sermon. But I put it on because it's only taped in the garage and I'm cleaning the garage. And this is how God works. Not about me, but you'll hear what I'm saying. I'm like wanting, I'm, I made all these stupid decisions. Life didn't go the way I wanted, okay? It wasn't happening. Even though God sent me like, hey, don't do that. Or, hey, go over there. And I'm like, maybe later, I'm busy. All that stuff happening. And then when it really comes down to it, I'm in the garage. Now I'm angry. All ticked off. And I listen to the sermon. It's me. Doesn't sound like me. Didn't even know I sounded like that. Next thing you know, in about 20 minutes, I'm crying. Because I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm not convicted by me. I was convicted because I was speaking the truth and I knew the very thing I needed to be set free from this life I was in was the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I preached it and I remember I was touched by it and moved. Some of you, same thing. You're like, God, I don't know what to do. Get in the word. Listen to the word. If you really want to hear God speak to you in that still small voice, you have to put yourself in a position to hear. First of it starts with repentance. Give him the things, even if you're like, well, I feel like I'm never going to change. I feel like a hypocrite to say, God, help me with this. If you have a problem being kind to people, or if everyone around you says you're not very nice, maybe ask the Lord to show you how to be nice. If you have a problem with patience, or you're a gossip, or whatever it is, lust, alcohol, drinking, whatever, I don't know what the problem is. We all have different problems. Maybe you're full of yourself, I don't know. If that's it, ask the Lord to show you, and he will. And then when you hear it, don't take offense. Go, God, how can I change? Help me change. Trim off the things, and no one likes to be trimmed. We live in a society like, who are you to trim me? Right? I never asked to be this way. God made me this way. There doesn't need to be any trimming done. Yes, he's the one that knows how to trim. He's the gardener. A lot of the times, we don't want to submit to the gardener and let him do the trimming. But when we let him trim those things that don't honor him, we begin to cultivate a peace and a joy in our life because we know that we are doing the right thing. You are at peace because you know, regardless of what's going on around you, that you are right with God. That you, there are people, even on their deathbed that I've been with, that you can tell those who do not feel right with God and those that do. There is a definite difference, right? Sometimes we say, is there anybody you, I can call for you that you can talk to that you need to make amends with? Anything like that sometimes because that's important for people to be able to let go. You think it's not, it, it is. There's people even in here, you're not even passed on, but there's things you haven't given God. If you give it to God, let him work it out. Amen, would you stand with me please? The secret of doing good in our life is to yield to the Holy Spirit, and as we yield to the Holy Spirit and give him control of our life, begin to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Notice all those key words. You should actually take that scripture, John 15, or Galatians chapter 5 in the fruit of the Spirit, and put it on your fridge because all of us could use more of it. And you'll know if you've got like, oh, I haven't even done good in 
any of those. That should probably be a gauge of how far away you are from the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit's there. It's whether or not you're listening, right? We don't want to grieve the Lord. We want to honor him. And that doesn't mean other people are going to make good decisions just because you're making the good ones. But we trust the Lord in that, that God sees them and can take care of them too. Amen? It says in Psalm 16, Thou shalt, will show me the path of life, and the presence is full, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and at thy right hand is the pleasures forevermore. That's what uh, David wrote about the Lord in his relationship to him. Thou shalt show me the path of life, and in thy presence is the fullness of joy. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can truly have a joy that, that the world can't comprehend, a joy that isn't based on uh, our pocketbook, our circumstances, our jobs, our relationships, a joy that is content in knowing that we are right with you, we are at peace with you, that, Father God, we come boldly into the throne room, not because of our own accord, but because of what you have done. You have made a way for us so that we may walk in newness of life. Help us recall and know. Let your Holy Spirit work in our hearts to bring back to our mind those things as we honor you with our life, Lord God. We ask that, Father, as we leave this place today, that we would be kind, that we would look at the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, and, and see, do they... Do they uh, happen in our life? Is that what people see? Lord, I ask that when people see us, they see you, that we would be sensitive to that as busy as we get and all the things going on. And that Lord, as we yield to you and your Holy Spirit, that Father, we bear fruit, that this church would bear fruit that goes way beyond this corner in this community, Lord. We are here to glorify you with our lives and in this body. Thank you for all those that are serving and doing in this place today. And we come to honor you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. May you go and be a blessing. And we're here to pray for you if you need prayer. And be in prayer for next week's service. That's always when we have extended family members coming. And we want to pray that they would have an encounter with the Lord.